You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. But in John chapter number 8 this morning, uh, I want to preach on this thought, this statement, this declarative statement this morning. You can be transformed by the truth. You can be transformed. Forms. Do you ever feel stuck? Do you ever get frustrated with yourself? Like uh, maybe whether it's uh, in your personal life, your home, your job, you just feel like you're not growing, you're not changing, there's not hope. But I'm here to tell you today that God's Word can transform your life. And I love what the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where the Bible says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Those verses are so powerful because the word transformed that's used there in Romans chapter number 12 comes from the Greek word that we get our word metamorphosis from. It comes from the Greek word where we get our word metamorphosis, transformed. I mean, you think about metamorphosis. You think about, can you just imagine with me just for a moment, that caterpillar being metamorphosized, being transformed into a beautiful butterfly. You think about that little tadpole that has very little capability being transformed into a lovely frog. Okay, maybe I sold the love, tried to sell the lovely part. I don't know if you bought that. But, uh, but the point is, is that you can be transformed. But the only way you're going to be transformed is by the renewing of your mind. Now that word renewing is an interesting word as well. We, we, would, uh, we would use the word renovation there perhaps. Renovation. And anybody ever renovated something? If you renovate, what, what is the first thing you do when you renovate? You tear out. You may even buy a big old dumpster. And uh, you buy that big dumpster, you go in there, you start ripping out, tearing down. Sometimes the renovation part can be kind of fun because you don't have to be very careful. You're not taking out and measuring and get, you know, to the, to the minute uh, little, you know, 32nd of an inch on something. And you're just in there ripping and tearing and dragging stuff out. Then you come back and you begin to put in new stuff. And isn't that nice? Uh, it's a lot nicer, probably if you got somebody that knows what they're doing more than me when I'm doing it, doing it. But it's still nice, ultimately, when you've got something new in there. Things that are updated, things that are functioning. And you take some old house, or maybe it's an old car uh, that you've restored and, 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 and redone, and you tear this stuff out, and man, it's something brand new. And that's what God says can happen. But see, we've got to get some old things tore out of our minds before we can get the new things built up in our minds. We don't just bring in, can you imagine, you know, that you, all of a sudden, you know, your wife says, well, I'd like to have a new kitchen. And you say, don't worry, honey, I got it. She comes in the next week, and right beside the old refrigerator is a new refrigerator. Maybe you drag the old stove out, put it over in the corner, and I'm, I'm uh, probably describing some of your renovations, amen. Put the old stove over in the corner, put the new stove right there. Tear the, you know, to maybe, maybe leave the old cabinets hanging up and just put some new ones on this wall over here. Honey, this ought to work. Look at all the cabinet space you have now. Uh, that's not the way it works, is it? What it is, you've got to tear the old stuff out, but that's what a lot of us do. We try to bring in these new things without taking out the old. But truth 
uh, the truth of God's Word will transform your mind, will transform your life. Can I get a witness, by the way, to that? Is there anybody that can say, you know what, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm telling you, God has helped me tear some old things out of my life, bring some new things into my life, and by God's grace, is it not reflected in your marriage? Is it not reflected in your relationship, your daily walk, your literally your mental and emotional health? and physical health for that matter, that, you, that, that your mind, that you've got your mind right. And so truth, you can be, and the truth will transform your life. I want to begin by looking in John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. And I want to look at just verse number 32, where Jesus just makes a simple statement, and he says this, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Last week we introduced this principle that truth, biblical truth, is really relational. We were created, you were created in the image of a relational God for the purpose of relationships. That's why uh, I'll say that uh, really, I understand with the rise and the uptick of, of COVID, it really is a, a real thing. I actually actually heard somebody say yesterday, and they actually used the term scan, scamdemic. Uh, and I would argue that it's a lot more than a scamdemic, amen? And for those of you that have known people that have nearly died from it, you understand that it is not just something made up. There is something real to it. But I still, uh, I know people are doing their best. But I'm telling you, one of, the, one of the most unhealthy things, honestly, that has uh, transpired through the course of 2020 is isolation and the results of isolation, the suicides, depression, uh, you know, the, 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 the domestic abuse and domestic issues that have just been, uh, all these numbers have been skyrocketing in 2020 uh, because we are relational beings. We cannot live our lives uh, totally isolated. And again, I want to make a clarification here. I am not picking on anyone who is, uh, you know, trying to be careful with the rise of the pandemic and, and, aren't, and aren't coming to social gatherings. I'm not being critical of that. I'm just simply making the statement that we were not created to be isolated. We were created to be in, we, we are relational beings. We live, folks, in a broken and relationally disconnected culture. Now, we hear a lot about this with young people, and it goes even into my generation, which I'm still a young person, too, so I'll just, I don't need to make that clarification. Uh, but, uh, but no, but really, the, 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 the social isolation, and the, or the, I'm not sorry, the, the social di disconnection of many today, you know, there's many young people that have a hard time looking somebody in the eye, carrying on a conversation. Uh, you know, relating, and it's crazy, in the most connected culture ever, in one sense, it's the most disconnected generation ever. And the more people become connected, the more it seems like they become isolated. I'm telling you, there's so much uh, mental anguish, become, but that's where we live today. Relational truth is what each of us needs and craves. There is not a person alive or that has ever lived that does not deep down crave relational truth. A truth with God, a relationship with God, and a, re a relational and transformative uh, relationship with the truth. 
What the Christian life is supposed to be about is believing, belonging, and behaving. See, our goal is this in this series, but it is to know what we believe. Do you know what you believe as a Christian or whatever your uh, point of view may be? What you believe. But we ought not stop there. We ought to know why we believe it, and then we ought to know how these truths are relevant to life and how they transform us internally And finally, how we can live the truth out before the world around us so that it can be imparted to those we love. As these truths take root in our innermost being, we will be reflecting Christ's way, Christ's truth, Christ's life. You know, we've been preaching a lot about truth over the last couple of weeks, and and I, I started off by talking about some of the competing worldviews that dominate our world today. And one of the main points that, that, that sets Christianity apart in our biblical worldview is the relational nature of the truth and the relational nature and the transformative nature of our worldview. I guess one of the big emphases that we need to make is this, that when we talk about truth, it's not about arguing what we believe to try to win a debate. That is not what we're about today. Folks, our goal, our objective is to uh, not, tell, not try to impress people by what we know, but try to introduce people to who we know. That's the goal, right? And so be careful with that because we can kind of get drawn in. And the thing is, is when you begin to study worldview, when you start studying from a scientific, psychological Uh, uh, you know, philosophical uh, perspective, how strong the Christian worldview is and the biblical worldview is, you can be tempted to uh, come out here and almost act like it's a big old club that you're going to go out here and start beating people over the head with. See, the Bible says that we ought to be ready to give an answer to every man of the hope that's within us. Does anybody know the rest of that verse? With meekness. And with fear. And so the way we approach as we, and and give an answer there is apologia, apologetics. I'll say more about that again in a moment. But it's not about here going out and beating everybody up. Oh, you believe this? Hold on, buddy, because I'm about to clean your clock. I'm going to show you how faulty your reasoning is. Now, there's a place for showing how faulty people's reasoning is, but what is our motive? I'm just trying to get through some of these things so I can get through to somebody's mind, so that I can get through to their heart to say, let me tell you something, buddy. I'm not just interested in telling you what I know. I'd like to introduce you to somebody, the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's That's the goal of the child of God. That's the goal in our home. That's the goal, and as, as, a, as a Christian, that ought to be our goal. So what I want to look at this morning, as we started last week, is this. Knowing the truth. Number two, being the truth. Knowing the truth, being the truth, and then living the truth before the world around us. Starting in our own family. Starting in our own homes. See, it is God's plan for us to know, to be, and to live His truth and to naturally impart that living and transformational truth to others. So number one, know the truth. John 8, 32, we've already read it, and you shall know the truth. That's good, isn't it? You shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall set you free, John 8, 32. You can know the truth. Now, we look at the Bible in order to know the truth, not our truth. And we've talked a lot about that over the last several weeks, so I'm not going to spend too much time on our truth and what the Bible says to me and so forth. What the Bible says to you, it says to everybody. Amen. It's the truth. It's the Word of God. So we look at the truth. We can know the truth. See, moral truth is not based on subjective preferences. Moral truth is based on objective reality. We talked about the confusion of this in our day and age. And I'm telling you, there's so many things that I see. For one thing, you know, you know a couple of the things that Jesus said about the, about the last times and about the days to come after He ascended. He said, for one thing, that there would be people that would call good evil and evil good. Does this surprise anybody that there's people out there that are calling us evil right now? For trying to be faithful to our wives, teach our kids to be pure, teach them the value and the sanctity of life. And all these things were evil people by some people's standards. He said there would be a time where they call evil good and good evil. And so for a lot of people, they literally call life evil and death good. They, they condemn life and celebrate death. But another thing God said, He said that, that they will be, they, that professing themselves to be wise, they will become fools. Folks, some of you, if you look into what goes on in the world today, it'll drive you crazy. Because you're just like, are you serious right now? This is what we're arguing I, I saw something, I mean, true story. I, 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 well, I believe it's, I read it on the internet, so I'm sure it's true. But no, I read this article about this, like, 6'3", 250-pound white dude. Can't remember where he lives. He's probably in California, Doria. I don't know. But, uh, but this dude says, basically, he, he identifies as a Filipino man. He identifies as a Filipino man. Um, and, I mean, and you ought to see the dude. It's just hilarious. He, he, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to make fun of the guy's appearance, but I'm just saying his appearance versus what he says he is. He identifies as a Filipino man to the point to where he therefore dresses in Filipino garb. And if I remember the article correctly, he went as far as to get a rickshaw. You know, like the little bikes with the little buggy thing on them or whatever. And we live in a society that doesn't say, uh, buddy, can we talk about what's going on in your mind right now? Can, can we address maybe the root causes of you getting to this point? No, 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 no. That would be judgmental. They'd be judgmental to be concerned about this man's mental health or emotional health. Oh, no, no, no. You just got to celebrate and say, you know, ni hao. I know that's Chinese, not Filipino. I don't know, how, I don't know the Filipino language. But you just got to say, hey, man, you got any balloon I can have? I don't know. But you just got to celebrate it. You just got to rejoice in it, apparently. Okay, that's not in my outline. I'm getting back. But I'm just saying, that's the world we live in. Folks, there, is, uh, there are subjective preferences it's okay for that 6'3", 200-pound white dude to be into Filipino culture. It's okay if he wants to dress Filipino. It's okay if he wants a rickshaw. It's okay, I guess, if he likes balut. 
those are these, you know, eggs that, anyway, it's an interesting Filipino dish. Uh, it's okay with all that. that that's, a, that's, that's subjective. But an objective truth, when he, then he now says, I want you to call me so-and-so. I, I, I identify as a Filipino man. Folks, that's, there's an objective truth there that says, uh, dude, science, biology, everything says you are not a Filipino man. That's, so there's subjective preferences, but then there's an, uh, there's an objective reality. Moral truth isn't something we create or decide for ourselves. It is God's nature and character that defines moral truth. The basis of everything we call moral and right springs from the truth that resides in the character of the eternal God who is outside us, above us, and beyond us. Now, some of the great things about the truth. You can be transformed by the truth. Here's one of the great things. Truth frees us from the shackles of sin. We live in a day to where supposedly as good, nice people, we should celebrate and rejoice in people's sin. But when we have a biblical worldview, we see sin for what it really is. We see the shackles that it is on these people's feet. We see the shackles. We see what it's doing to their families. We see what it's doing to them emotionally. We see how it's destroying their lives. Therefore, what we do is we, we understand the truth will free you from the shackles of sin. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What a blessing to hear the truth of the gospel. And I just want to pause right here for a second and say, oh, happy day when I heard the gospel truth. How about you? When I heard, that, I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Praise God. When I heard that story, when I heard the gospel, praise God. You talk about a truth setting me free. Man, I've been set free. Hallelujah. My chains are gone. I mean, man, I'm about to start singing and run all of y'all. But... Listen, man, I'm telling you, free, free, free from this world of sin. What a blessing it is. Anybody glad they're free this morning? Hey, and if you're not free, man, I'm telling you, the truth can release you from the shackles of, uh, of sin. The truth frees us to be overcomers. The truth frees you to be an overcomer. Because even though you get saved by the grace of God, you still bring your old nature over into this new life with you. You're still there. That old nature, that old fallen, depraved nature, we still have this old body of death that we drag around with us. Don't think that you eradicate that in this life. See, and I'm telling you, unfortunately, you beware of this. There's some people that in, in a well-meaning way, they almost preach as if your old nature got saved when you got saved. Therefore, you should do a whole lot better than what you're doing. But Jesus said, or Paul said, that that old nature is still with us. But here's the good news. Truth helps us overcome. Amen. Truth lets us live the victory. Truth lets us, whatever our weaknesses, pride, anger, lust, uh, 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 envy, right on down the line, uh, whatever our problems are, unforgiveness, God can help us and get us through those things and help us to be overcomers. The Bible says ye are more than conquerors through Christ. 
And I want to talk just a moment about the, in, in a moment about that, but here's the thing. The Bible says, not ye shall be conquerors. He says, ye are conquerors. No, my bad. He did not say that you're conquerors. He said you're more than conquerors. It's, it's, it's one Greek word. It's a super nikeo. Super nikeo. N N Nike is the word, the, the Greek goddess. They, but they, they use that term Nike, meaning victory. Super victory. Super nikeo. We're more than conquerors. That's what you are. But the thing is, when we don't grasp the truth as God's people, what begins to happen is there's a disconnect there. And here we are as victors being beat up. We're getting drugged. We're getting racked. We're getting wrecked. And all the time we've got the power to be winners. But we're not living like winners. Uh, we've got the power to succeed, but we're continually failing. Man, the truth will help you and empower you to be the overcomer that you are. Truth frees us from loneliness and meaninglessness. Loneliness is one of the great uh, things to plague our world today. You may not think of it, but studies show that loneliness is one of the greatest issues facing mankind today. Loneliness. Now just relate that to what we've been saying this morning so far. What's missing there? Number one, a personal relationship with Christ is missing. But understand this. There are people who know Christ as Savior that are still lonely. Now, let me say, there's actually a difference between being lonely and loneliness. There's a time we can be lonely for a spell, but when we're just living constantly with loneliness, that's not, the truth will free you from that. You're saved. You may be saved in dealing with that. The truth can free you from loneliness, loneliness, and meaninglessness. One of the worst things that's going on with our teens and young people today is they've been taught that they're a cosmic accident. They're here as a result of absolute chance. There's, there's no meaning to life, there's no right, no wrong, there's no absolute, and, there, and therefore what, what they're basically being taught is there's no purpose, there's no meaning. What kind of life is that? But here's the good thing. The truth lets you know that you have a meaning and that you have a purpose. So truth sets you free from loneliness and meaninglessness. Uh, knowing the truth involves the mind and the heart. Jesus wanted his followers to believe in him for who he claimed to be. But listen to me on this. Jesus did not want his disciples, nor does he want us to believe in him blindly. He does not, he didn't want them to believe blindly. He does not want us to believe blindly. Do, don't you believe for one minute that our faith is just some hope so, maybe so, pie in the sky? See, some people would like to paint faith, quote unquote, and they, when, when they identify with the Christian as basically us believing in something for which there's no evidence, nothing, no founding principles, we're just these weirdo sheep that just choose and opt and maybe good for you that you choose to believe something based on absolutely nothing. But that is not the Bible, the, what, what the Bible says about knowing the truth. I like what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What's the next word? The evidence of things not seen. You say that's an oxymoron. Well, that's all right. Because there's evidence to the things that aren't seen. 
Somebody says, I've never seen God. I don't believe in Him. Do you believe in the wind? Do you believe in pain? Uh, you've never seen pain, but you can sure see and feel the results of it. You've never seen the wind, but by God, if you live in this part of the country, you sure have seen the results of the wind and what the wind does. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the, or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Jesus wanted His disciples to be confident that what He was asking them to believe was true. So he appealed to the evidence that was established that he was, in fact, God the Son. Listen to what he said here in John 14, verses 10 and 11. He said, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. And listen to this last statement. Or else believe me for the very works' sake. He's saying to them, you have some evidence for believing that I am who I say I am. Think about this. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He gave them many infallible proofs. You know, you've maybe heard the statement before about there being more proof and evidence that Jesus Christ existed and was who He said He was than there was Julius Caesar. It's interesting when you think about some of the ancient figures that we know, at least we know their names so well. Did you know that in many cases, what's really going on with these uh, guys is that it's historians, but it's men that lived hundreds of years after them that have written much of what we know about these men. Who wrote what we know about Christ and what He did? Eyewitnesses. People that were there. I mean, listen, Jesus, many of you may or may not know this, but after the resurrection of Christ, Jesus Christ stayed on this earth for an additional 40 days before ascending into heaven. 40 days. And He was seen by witness after witness. He was seen by over 500 at once. Why was he doing this? He was showing himself alive by many infallible proofs. The evidence for believing, and I could say many, many more things, but the evidence for believing what God says is true are there to convince our minds that what he says is real and true. One of the great truths about a biblical worldview and biblical Christianity is you do not have to check your brain at the door when you walk into this building. Now, on the contrawise, or on the opposite of that, our kids are actually even being taught today that the system of learning oftentimes is do leave your brains at the door of the university. We'll tell you what you need to know. We don't want thinking a lot of times, but, but you, don't leave your, you don't shake your brain at the door when you walk in. See, uh, it's difficult sometimes for our hearts to rejoice in what our minds reject. But I'm glad that God's Word, folks, stands up to sound reason. God's Word stands up to science. I mean, it stands up to history. Just right on down the line, it stands. 
That is why we need to know not only what we believe, but why we believe it. When we know why we believe it, we develop a deepened conviction about what God says. The Bible itself repeatedly invites us to examine why a truth is true so that we can form our own convictions. I've said this before, but I love those, uh, those Christians, those Berean Christians that we mentioned from time to time. Paul said they were more noble than those of Thessalonica. Now, we're going to read a testimony of those from Thessalonica, which had some positive uh, impact as well. But he said that they searched whether or not those things were so. Child of God, God has given you a Bible. And it's not about going back and learning about, just learning about events that happened thousands of years ago. It's about that, but it's more about your relationship in your life today. Its truth will transform your life today. Now, I don't know if I would be wrong to assume this or not, but I think many among us today may find and know what it is to battle getting into the Bible consistently. For many, it's hard just to get in there and commit to read it every day, much less to get in there and study it on a regular basis. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's such, such an opposition to that? Some deep-rooted within us. I believe it's our old nature. I believe it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. I think that, I don't just think this, I know that the devil knows that if you and I, see, we have problems, you have problems in your life, in your relationships, with yourself, between you and God, with your family, with your church, within your job, whatever the case may be, just again within your own mind, the way you think. And I'm telling you, the key is right here. The key to your success and victory is the truth. It'll set you free. And so by God's grace, man, identify it for what it is and realize that that battle is something that's hindering you from having the success in your life. But the Word of God can help us form deep convictions. Um, Jesus said something else in John, or I'm sorry, John said this about Jesus in the Gospel of John 20, verses 30 and 31. The Bible says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. Ain't that cool? We'll get to heaven one day and get to read that book, I guess. I mean, it may not be that, but we'll get to know what else Jesus did. But He said, There's many other things that Jesus did that aren't written in this book, but these are written, the Gospels, these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you might have life through His name. So he said, these are written that you may know. In other words, John recorded evidences that confirmed Jesus to be the one true God so that we could know the truth with confidence and deep conviction. The point, you can know the truth. Know the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. Now, we will, we will seldom, if ever, have exhaustive evidence about much of anything, honestly. But we have enough evidence to make an inference on what is most likely to be true. See, there is a... I'm sorry, I, I got ahead of myself on that statement, but, but you can find sufficient evidence to establish that what you believe is credible and objectively true. Like a detective, we can take evidence and make an inference on what is most likely to be true. We can look at clues. 
reasoning, the, the type of reasoning that's used by detectives, scientists, and philosophers is a form of, of what's called abductive reasoning. Abductive reasoning basically starts at where we are and tries to work itself back to the, the conclusion that makes the most sense. So it's, there, there's different types of reasoning, but this is a, an a abductive reasoning. Now, from, from the effects, the effects go back to the causes. Now, within this form of reasoning is the law of what's called multiple competing hypotheses. Multiple competing hypotheses. Just bear with me. For example, we had the, the evidence that we may have when we walk out of the church doors today is that it's wet outside. Now, when it rains, it's wet. So if you walk outside and step out of that door and you step on the sidewalk and it's wet, can you automatically infer that it rained? Now, see, the abductive reasoning says, oh, it's wet, let me trace back. If it's wet, therefore it must have rained. But within that, you have, as I said there, the, the law of multiple competing hypotheses. Is that the only possible reason the sidewalk's wet? So there's multiple com competing hypotheses or thoughts. Now, if I step out on that sidewalk and it's wet, I could argue it must have rained. But if it's wet, what other things could have happened? Maybe Doria was out watering. And she would probably not have been doing that this morning. But Doria would come up and water. And boy, Chad and Doria did such a beautiful job on the landscaping around the church. And she's out watering. Therefore, you look at that evidence and say, you know what? It's possible that the sidewalk is wet because she was out here watering. It's possible that the sidewalk is wet because Michael took the kids out with water guns and water balloons and was out there having a water balloon fight. That's a possibility. So we have many possibilities for why the sidewalk is wet. But now we start looking at evidences. So we trace these evidences back. If it was a water balloon fight, what evidence might we have? Balloons, the busted balloons laying around everywhere. If, it's, uh, uh, if it was uh, Doria watering the, 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 land, the, the, the plants around the building, what might it be? We'll look around and we'll see, well, you know what? The sidewalk is wet, but the parking lot's not wet. But if we walk out and say, wait, not only is the sidewalk wet, the parking lot's wet, the street's wet, the neighbor's house is wet, it's all wet. You see, that's what you do. So in other words, we don't have, none of us were there to see what actually happened. But based on the information, the clues that we have, again, that's what uh, detectives do this, uh, scientists, uh, philosophers, they use this type of reasoning. And so if everything's wet, we can pretty much de de deduct, we can pretty much infer that it rained. And I can argue that it rained. Why do you think it rained, preacher? It's wet everywhere. Well, yeah, still, it could have been water balloons. It could have been. But man, that would have been a huge water balloon fight. And they would have cleaned up after themselves, which I'm not banking on. Maybe not Michael and Hannah, but the kids. The boys. How about I say that as the girls glare at me? Um, okay. Uh, or, or somebody says, well, I believe it was Doria watering. And I'm looking, 
Doria got that messy watering? And Chad's probably shaking his head like, yeah, man, it gets everywhere. Uh, but no, so that, that's where we stand oftentimes with our faith and what we believe. When we start talking about origins, no, nobody was there. But when we start looking at clues and evidence, we can look at the best possible solution. We can look at these multiple competing hypotheses and we can look back to where it goes. See, and so on many levels, that's how our faith is, especially concerning origin and causation. Is God real? Is the Bible true? Is Jesus who He said He was? None of us were there. But when we look at the evidence, it points to all these things being true. The, the, the thing that makes the most sense goes back to Jesus being who He said He was, the virgin-born Son of God that died on the cross, rose again the third day, and ascended up to heaven. We look at the Bible, and we say, you know what? People say the Bible's not real. It's this, it's that. But then we start looking at the evidence, and we say, well, wait a second. You've been trying literally for the last 2,000 years to disprove it, and you've not been able to do so. Many of you that have set out to disprove it have ended up getting saved, and you're evangelists now. Uh, it's changed the world, so the most likely uh, answer is not that the Bible is fake, but that the Bible and Christianity is true. You see what I'm saying? See, we can know the truth, but we don't just say, oh, we just believe this pie in the sky, blah, blah, blah. Somebody said it, we're going to believe it. No, we have evidence. We have proof. See, knowledgeable faith rests its case on sufficient evidence. Someone defined faith this way. They defined faith as a trust in what we have reason to believe is true. I think it's a pretty good definition. A trust in what we have reason to believe is true. When we know the truth and why we believe it ourselves, we can then offer that truth to others. A, and we can offer to others a faith that appeals both to the heart and the mind. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. That's what I was referring to earlier. We know the truth. We do not, we do not believe what we believe because somebody else said it. We do need to know the what. But when you ask, or somebody asks you, well, why would I believe that? You don't just need to say, well, because I said so. Or that's what Pastor Jesse said. That's garbage, man. That's nothing. That, that doesn't need to be the answer. The answer needs to be, because thus saith the Word of God. And let me encourage you in this. You don't have to know everything there is to know in order to give an answer to every man. Let me encourage you in this. If you're here today and you know Christ as Savior, you know a lot. Now, I want to encourage you to, to learn more, but do not feel like you can't engage people because you don't know more. Some people are scared to start up a conversation. What if they start asking me all this stuff? Preacher, I can't remember the, you know, the law of competing hypotheses and, and, uh, and, and, and abductive reasoning and all that. You don't need to. You don't need that. You, don't ever, you may not ever need that ever in your life. But if you know you're saved, you know what you can say? I'm talking about the relational nature, and this goes to really to the rest of the message that I'm going to have to give to you briefly. But it goes to the rest of the message is this. Man, I've got to be honest with you. 
I don't know the answers to all that. I don't understand it all, but I do want to tell you one thing. There was a day that I was lost in my sin. There was a day that I was lost in a dead religion. But there come a day to where I heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell you that Jesus saved my soul. He's changed my life. Look, look what He's done for me. See, this is the rest of the message. We know the truth. We are the truth. We live the truth. God's done this in my life. Look what He's done in my family. Or look what He's doing in my family. I'm not perfect, but God's doing a work in my life. He said, yeah, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, what about, uh, you know, blah, 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 and uh, uh, this scientist and that physicist and this other thing. That, it, it, you know what reminds me of? Some of you probably thought about this already. I bet some of you already thought about that man whom Jesus healed. He was a man, was he a lame man, a blind man? I think he was a blind man that Jesus healed in the temple. And uh, Jesus come by, healed the man, didn't tell the man a whole lot else. Was he lame? Y'all help me. Whatever the case was, I think he's lame, wasn't he? He's blind. But he's up walking around and he's seeing and he's like, hey, everybody, how's it going? And they're like, is that the same dude that's been sitting out here begging for the last 20 years or whatever it's been? I'm impressing you with my Bible knowledge, ain't I? <laughs> Amen. Uh, but, uh, but just bear with me on the story. I'm getting you the, 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 the crux of the story. He's going around and they're saying, uh, what's going on here? How, how are you seeing all of a sudden, man? This is great. He's like, man, well, this man called Jesus came by and touched me and healed me. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's about it. Wait a second. You say Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. Like a lot of people in our culture today don't like Jesus. Uh, they didn't like Jesus. And they said, well, don't you say that? Don't, are you saying this about God? Are you saying this about Christ? He says, man, I don't know about any of that stuff. But I do know this, as before, I was blind, but now I see. Child of God, that's a good enough answer. Now, that's not a good enough answer two years from now. Start there, but then by that time, you should have studied that conversation a little bit. You should have tried to get a little bit of information because, folks, our, what we believe is not just totally based on, well, the Bible said so. We can show you and teach why the Bible is reliable. And why the Bible says so and said just the Bible says so. Now, we know the Bible's reliable, so the Bible says it and we believe it. But we say that because we know the Bible is reliable. All right? And so, know the truth. Be the truth. I'll have to share this uh, in a later message. Be the truth. Live the truth. I want to talk to you and maybe close with this illustration. I was talking earlier about knowing the truth. The Bible says, for instance, as I've already shared, you are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. All these great things. I hope you know the Bible says this about you. But there was a, there was a fellow one time that went off to college. You may have heard the story. He went to college years ago. He registered for all of his classes. He moved into a dorm room. Uh, he was working himself through school. So, man, he was, you know, I mean, it was, uh, he was uh, just living off of cheese and crackers pretty much every day. So that's what his meals consisted of. He was trying to be wise and uh, 
and, 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 be, and, you know, he was working himself through school, so he understood there was a lot of debt here. Don't just think, oh, I'll get a bunch of, if you can avoid getting a big old ton of student loans, friend, uh, you better do so. But that's another story. But he was working himself through. Cheese and crackers every night. He did this, I mean, almost through the entire first semester. Cheese and crackers. He was eating like a mouse day and night. Finally, he thought, man, you know what? He set a little bit of extra money aside. And he thought, man, I'm going to the cafeteria today. I gotta, I've got to splurge. I've got to get something different. So in he walks. He stands in the line. He loads his tray up. I mean, he gets meat. He gets taters. He gets, he gets a slice. He gets two slices of pie and a brownie. He's just going all out, man. And, in line, and he comes up, finally time to pay for it. And man kind of in a dreading kind of way, says, how much is this going to cost me? And of course, the lady checking him out just simply said, well, do you have your student ID? He says, well, yes, ma'am. Well, can I see it? Yep, scans it, okay. It's free. See, included in his tuition was meals at the school cafeteria. And I give that illustration, and that was Richard Peasley, y'all. Y'all didn't realize that. No, it wasn't, I promise you. Uh, it was not. Uh, but uh, I told him I would never tell. No, just kidding. But listen, that's how many Christians live their lives. You're spiritually living off of cheese and crackers. You're living your life like a mouse. You're living your life like a grasshopper, going back to Joshua and, uh, you know, those children of Israel. We're, we're grass. That's how you're living your life. All the time, you've got right here, you've got everything you need to be the overcomer you need to be. So what you need to do, you do need to know the truth, but then you need to appropriate, incorporate the truth into your life, incorporate the truth into your relationships, be a doer, be a liver of the Word of God. Don't just get you, the Bible says that knowledge puffeth up. Don't just get a bunch of knowledge up in your head. Man, you need to get some knowledge that gets down into your heart, that gets down into your feet and your hands and your tongue, filthy mouth. And it changes the way you live and it changes your testimony to the people around you. Amen? And so the truth, the truth will transform you. Have you been transformed by the truth this morning? If not, you can be.